This is Two Guys Five Movies. It's one of your co host Chris. We had a passing this past week of an icon in the comic industry that inspired a lot of uh, movies um, from those comic characters that he created in uh, Stan Lee, who passed away at the age of 95. So we want to take a little bit of time tonight to go ahead and discuss Stanley's career. Frank, you're um, much more, um, have much, a lot more history with comics than I do. Um, I didn't start reading comics until probably like around the age of 20 some, and it was usually much more recent stuff. So you have a lot more perspective and history than I do when it comes to Stanley and those characters from um, your childhood. So did you want to go ahead and get started? Yeah, so I actually started reading comics when I was maybe two or three. Um... And I've always loved the Marvel universe more than any other like comic universe, especially as a kid. Um, really into Spider-Man and Captain America and Fantastic Four and the X-Men, um, all of which I think are Stanley creations. Um, Stanley was a big part of my childhood just because of like the letters pages and stuff. There was always like the notes from Stanley in every mm-hmm. issue, and <clears throat> he taught me the word Excelsior and. Really was just kind of like a figure that I always thought of as, like, deeply associated with comics. Um, and then, like, as I got older, you know, you see that there's a lot of influence from him to filmmakers like we grew up with. I mean, specifically Kevin Smith, but also, you know, inspiring, like, the current, I guess, I don't know, glut if the right word, but the current string of, like, the Marvel Universe movies. But even before that, you know, with other other, like, less successful film entries into, like, you know, the Marvel Universe. Um, You know, growing up, I... We grew up in a pretty rural area, and I really didn't have anyone that was, like, close to me friend-wise. So a lot of my summers were spent with comics, and my parents would always let me subscribe to three or four issues a year. Um, They were, like, $12 a subscription. So for my birthday, I could pick, like, four issues to subscribe to. So every, every month, it was the feeling of, like, looking forward to, like, getting those comics... Um, even as I got older and I moved more away from like the superhero comics, so like more into the, like the vertigo horror theme stuff when I was a teenager, um, there still was always Marvel stuff that I would subscribe to because I had a box at, um, the local comic book shop. Um, and a lot of those characters, you know, were Stanley creations. Um, it's always weird when someone famous passes away because like, you obviously don't know that person. And I always kind of find it a little, like, disingenuous when people post on social media about how, like, they're heartbroken or they yeah. can't go on or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that tend to use the passing of someone famous to make it about themselves. So, like, yeah. they well, can it's that it. circle of grief thing that right. we talked about before exactly, yeah. where people try to impinge upon the center of the circle when they right. really like, weren't Right, like, somehow it directly affected them. Sure. Um, so, when, whenever, whenever someone dies, like, I don't ever mean to, like, diminish someone's, like, grief that they feel but it always seems like a little fake to me but there's a couple people that in my life that have passed away that I I don't know that I feel like necessarily sorrow but I feel like that loss and it's Mm -hmm. just kind of a it's a thing with Stan Lee where number one there's somebody who I mean honestly I think my love of comics is what led into my love of movies Mm -hmm. just because like you learn a lot of things about the way that cinema and like movement and shot composition work just by reading comic books and, you know, some of the greatest like artists and creators of, you know, like that industry. So like John Byrne and Frank Miller, um, all came from, you know, my love of reading like Marvel comics, Jim Lee, who's pretty amazing at it. 
Um, well, it's the very concept of storyboarding. Right, exactly. Yeah. And storyboarding in, like, the most specific way mm-hmm. where, like, they have to show you movement and action and sure. intent without, like, ever having anything moved in, like, a, a frame. So, I, I think really, like, my natural transition into movies came a lot from being, like, so into comics. Um, and also just the idea is, like, my love of, like, literature, too, just because, obviously not, like, high, I don't know, whatever, like, great English or whatever. I mean, a lot of it's, like, very melodramatic. But much of, you know, the storylines from those early comics um, really gave me an appreciation for narrative and, you know, like, rising action and climax and... Well, beyond that, I mean, like, what little I know about his place in history, like, um, just from reading about him a lot, is that, I mean, he was, uh, there is a literary component to Lee, in the sense that he kind of introduced, like, the more naturalistic storylines and the character flaws and those kind of things that weren't really that prevalent inside of comic books until that point. Also, a lot of social issues. (laughs) Sure, right, yeah. Tackling things like... Racism and... Racism and social discontent and politics. And Lee never did it in a way that was heavy-handed, I mean... I mean, he actually, like, didn't he, like, change a lot of stuff in the 1970s? Like, like in terms of um, kind of laws about... Was, I think I read somewhere where there's drug story. There was a drug storyline in the 1970s that he introduced, but it was an anti-drug storyline. But you weren't allowed to talk about <laughs> drugs at that point in, inside comics, and they ended up not publishing under the label, and it ended up becoming like a major seller, and it ended up leading to like changes in the like yeah, oversight of comics and stuff like that. Like, I mean, not to get too far off track of like Stanley, but you had the. Um... The comics code that was introduced yeah, in yeah, the fifties, yeah. right? Yeah, um, that was more of a reaction to the EC comics, mm-hmm. which was like the um, tomb of tomb of horror or whatever mm-hmm. tales from the crypt, like those where it was really like overtly like horrific yeah. things. But you know, it's it's but, just like the whatever the um, hey. Tipper Tipper Gore oh, right, yeah. with music. Sure. Um, just a complete overreaction to the idea that you're going to pollute the minds of the young. Yeah, same thing with the Hayes Code in film. Like, right. I mean, like, yeah, uh, it's, it's, 19... it, yeah, the exact same thing. Sure. There's actually a. But I'm, I'm pretty sure what I'm saying is I'm pretty sure, like, it was some of these storylines that ended up actually affecting change in that code that ended up allowing some more things to come, like, yeah. into play in terms of comics. Like, I mean, it's, it's Marvel in a lot of ways that. Marvel stuck with the comics code probably longer than anybody else, but. Marvel also pushed the boundaries a lot more, especially with um, within the boundaries of the comics code, like yeah. the Frank Miller stuff specifically, and even like a lot of the Chris Claremont stuff would deal with things like like implied rape and mm-hmm. child abuse, and I mean, there's a lot of stuff from the '80s, particularly where those those themes. The one the drug thing that comes to mind is um, it's a Green Arrow comic from 90s? the 70s I don't know if it's Art Adams Neil Adams maybe wrote it or drew it um, where Speedy mm-hmm. uh, Green Arrow's like protege mm-hmm. is addicted to heroin so that's like the first like major mm-hmm. that, that I can remember yeah. I don't know. I'm not like a huge comic historian yeah. um, you know then there's a weird time period where I actually felt like some disdain for Stanley just because of the way that like Jack Kirby was treated by Marvel, mm-hmm. um, and because Stanley was like the face of Marvel, you sort of just 
kind of attributed like well, right. I don't know a lot, so he transitioned at one point into just more of that figurehead and didn't have anything to do with really writing the comics that much of Marvel. Right? Yeah, I, I don't know point. that I've ever read a comic that Stanley wrote contemporaneously. Okay, like I think I've only ever read and. I had collections when I was little. Like, you would, in the grocery store line, they would have those, like... Oh, yeah, I remember those, yep. Yeah, 12-inch, like, thick books yeah, that yeah. were just, like, collections of, uh-huh. like, Marvel stories. Yeah, so I've read yeah. a lot of the old Fantastic Four, a lot of the old Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Captain America, one of my favorite characters of all time, mm-hmm. like, stuff that he had written. Um, he wrote something in, like, the 90s that was terrible. I, I don't know. I mean, really, like, my appreciation for him more is just as, like... That image of him as, you know, the guy that was always positive about comics, the guy that was always about, like, the stories and the adventures, and, you know, it, it kind of transitioned into my adulthood watching, like, the Marvel Universe, just kind of like the the small, like, nice feeling that you get seeing, like, Stanley, mm-hmm. and especially knowing, like, so he went through a lot of issues with um, money management, like, people defrauded yeah. him pretty, pretty badly, um, even just recently, right? Right. Like, he was he was destitute, yeah. and it's you look at the creators, the people that have become like you know multimillionaires and super like successful and famous in their own rights that would come to his aid, just because of the debt of gratitude. I guess they feel they owed him, mm-hmm. and a guy that I I met Stanley once in like the nineties at a comic mm-hmm. convention. Yeah. Um, but you you hear stories about like Stanley just taking time all the time to like talk to people uh-huh. and. Yeah. engaging them and trying to make them feel like you know like it mattered that they loved comics and i think for you know because i was i was a pretty socially awkward kid like up until like high school you know having like that escape and like the fact that a lot of the things that i escaped into were creations of him like it, it does kind of hit you a little hard yeah. um so again like not to be like disingenuous yeah. because obviously it doesn't directly affect me but yeah. it was um it made me it made me a little little sad, a little nostalgic. Sure, I mean, well, it's, he's one of those. Uh, even not being in the comics, I mean, especially in the past fifteen years, you know, because of the movies that have been made by Marvel and put out, it's like he's this ever present figure, like throughout my entire life. Yeah. Like you know, there's a, Stan Lee's always been there. It's one of those things where it's like, um, and then you have, especially with Gen X, you have that cameo that he has in Mallrats that you mentioned, yeah. and. Um, you know, which, you know, Mallrats being not quite as pivotal as Clerks, but pretty, pretty close. I mean, being that second movie that he sure. makes, um, you know, you have that really pivotal cameo, I think, you know, um, that paints Stanley and then in this image of, you know, um, probably Rose Tinted Glass to some degree, but this, you know, kind elderly old man who's only there to help people, you know, like, and he's, you know, taking his time out of his day, and, like, some of that is true, and I think right. some of it from the, from the different reports of, like, you know, business, you know, dealings and stuff in the past with Marvel's probably, you know, not, you know, not quite always accurate, you know, I mean, um... And you, you look at the fact that, like, and again, like, when I was a kid, like, comics were a thing that you were kind of derided for being into, mm-hmm. like, it was, like, a nerdy pursuit when nerd wasn't like a cool thing to be it was just like almost like embarrassing to be called a nerd well not almost like it was embarrassing to be called a nerd and stan lee i think is a really large part of being like the ambassador that turned that into a more mainstream phenomenon where anybody can say that they love spider-man and no one even bats an eye sure it feels like there's you know anything 
like unusual about that mm-hmm. and even beyond like you know movies you know into video games and television and i mean this is a man that like his passion i think is largely responsible for the fact that we live in a world now where superheroes are pretty omnipresent right yeah. and super like and successful it, and, right yeah like, not only just the tolerated but accepted right. and you know adored i mean um it's uh, which is good at least he got to live to see that you know i mean and uh, like this this age where superheroes now are because i mean i'm pretty sure like i think his last name is really lieber i think it was like you know that's right, yeah. um and it's like he um i mean he, he i know he used the pseudonym because he was embarrassed about writing comics yeah. um then legally i think probably changed it later but it's like he um you know, so, I mean, he, you think about the, I mean, it's a long life, but it's like, you know, the life that he lived where it's like, you know, he gets into it embarrassed and then like kind of at least lives to see it become this, you know, um, you know, ubiquitous movement, um, throughout the country to where, uh, and I just think about like all like the just lives he's, you know, has affected in some way, however small it may be in terms of the characters and the ideas. Cause you think about all the different people that have written, his characters right. through the years and it's like you know the imagination that sparked at whatever age you know by oh wouldn't it be cool if this you know i mean it's like you know i've like have like my own like kind sure. of like you know marvel storyline in my head that like i've like thought about wouldn't it be cool if like you know you could do this story and stuff like that and it's like those are you know in part at least his creations right. um you know and that's the thing too is that like because of the way the Marvel Universe works, in the sense that Spider-Man is always Spider-Man. I mean, with some sure. dumb exceptions. But, sure. you know, these characters that they created. So, like, the Fantastic Four, at their core, is the same thing. So, when you're writing the Fantastic Four in 2018, mm-hmm. no matter what changes has happened, you really are still writing, like, this this thing that this man created. Mm-hmm. In whenever the Fantastic Four is, like, 60 early 60s sometime like the beginning of them same with the avengers you know and it's just i don't know and you just think about like how many i mean just even outside of comics like how many kids that ended up becoming you know directors or writers or whatever like you know um ended up growing you know it's like you got people like jonathan lethelm and stuff like that that grew up reading comics that you know became a successful novelist and it's like all these people like you know like you said some of their first exposures are you know to narrative to you know right. you know and structure I mean, that's, again like and i've certainly grown far beyond whatever like my early days of comics but at the same time like i still can go back to that but my love of literature my love of film like yeah. comes from the fact that i started by being exposed to these ideas you know and like really complex ideas i mean stanley wrote they were very it's, it's a very simple idea usually with a very the ability to have like a very complex narrative behind it. Like the Fantastic Four, they're just four friends who are scientists that yeah. turn into monsters. But then like where you take that in terms of like social acceptance and the same yeah. thing with the X-Men. Sure. Like, I mean, there's a lot of storylines that came out of just the basic ideas that Lee had of <clears throat> this group of like social outcasts with these powers mm-hmm. that are like looked down upon by society. I mean, there's a lot of storylines that come out of that, especially again in like the late 80s, early 90s about racial discrimination and even like comparisons like the AIDS virus and stuff like that. So just, I'm not sure if he's responsible for creating doom, um, particularly, but I mean, um, 
So, I, yeah, I'm not sure, but it's, like, Doom's, like, my favorite supervillain, like, out of, like, all of those supervillains. And, I mean, it's it's because it actually shows you the complexity of that political ideology. Right. Where it's, like, you know, everybody looks at it as, like, completely awful, but there are some benefits. And I think it was Claremont, if I remember correctly, that ends up, like, really, like, hitting home on that. Like, by showing you, like, the area that, like, Doom controls... You know, and showing you the pros and the cons of, like, you know, what happens there, like, you know, in his country. Um, but it's like, you know, there's so many just, like, minor characters that ended up, you know, he ended up creating that just ended up, um, or influencing in some way that ended up, like, right. just being really pivotal in terms of, like, I think probably teaching kids, you know, social, you know, making them think at least. And he's sure. not teaching them, like, about social values and political values and, like, all those kind of things. And it does add a complexity, like you're saying, to... Um, you know, uh, those stories to where it does, I think, make you more well-rounded in the end. So he, in a lot of, like, taught, taught me a lot of language, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think part of my mm-hmm. vocabulary comes from the fact that I read comics and, yeah. again, like, a guy that wasn't afraid. I mean, he's got a very simple storytelling style, um, mm-hmm. but not afraid to use words that might not be in the common vernacular where, like, you might have to actually ask, like, an adult or look it up to see, like, what that word meant. Um, but yeah, just... Like, some of the most iconic comic characters. I mean, really, the entire slate, I think, of, like, modern Marvel movies comes from Lee's creations. So, like, yeah. Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Hulk, Black Panther, all those things. Black Panther's another one. Like, there's right, a guy yeah, that right, yeah. creates a black superhero that isn't, like, a sidekick or sure. a novelty. Because I think Falcon, I remember reading, was the first one. And yeah. he's a sidekick, though, more than anything. I don't... He didn't have his own comic, right? So... Uh... Maybe, like, Marvel team-up in the 70s was, yeah. like, Falcon and Captain America a yeah, lot. right. Um, I don't... But yeah, about Black Panther. And then, you know, if you look at, like, how that progresses to 2018 and, like, you know, the success of that movie and, like, what it means right. culturally, like, in this country, like, you know... Right. Like, and all from the fact that Stanley was never afraid to... Right. Like, recognize the fact that people are different and that everyone can be represented. I mean, you know, Asian characters, African-American characters, um, Hispanic characters. Yeah. I mean, he had... Yeah. Never, like, never just, like, mustache-twirling villains, you know? I mean, right. it was, like, always as nuanced a portrayal as you could have, I guess, in that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. So, again, like, a pretty pretty big loss, I think, to the comic book community, the mm-hmm. like, the film community in terms of, and just, like, culturally, you know, as an icon okay. with those glasses and that hair and the mustache, like, something yeah. that you immediately yeah. would recognize sure. anywhere. Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, and then really, like, you know, I mean, in his later years here, it's, like, the thing that I think is probably going to most be missed is that is that little cameo. Like, um, every single time you watch a Marvel movie now, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, because, you you know, it's almost one of those, you don't anticipate it, but when it happens, you know, it's just that little smirk on your face of, right. like, you know, I mean, of, you know, of seeing him, and, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, um, there's always going to be that little reminder, probably, with Marvel movies now that, um. Of course, I don't know. I don't trust anybody anymore. They'll probably CGI him in somehow. Who's in charge of Marvel now? Not Abrams, but um, Marvel is it? Is it Feig or is it Paul Feig in uh, charge? Kevin, isn't it? Kevin Kevin Feig? Feig. Yeah, Kevin Feig. Yeah. I mean, like hopefully he has some some class about him. I don't know. We'll see. I'm a little cynical about it, but yeah. But he lived a good, long life. Long, you know, it's a long life, and he did a lot in it, and um. 
Yeah, it's just gonna be a shame, um, you know, uh, especially with those movies, you know, like uh, not seeing them anymore. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, everybody have a um, good week. Thanks for um, listening. And please, um, you know, if you want listen, we're going to be recording uh, the top five sword and sorcery movies here shortly. That'll be up um, probably around uh, uh, on Saturday around uh, late at night, one o'clock in the morning.